Philippians chapter 1 is where we'll be. Paul's the writer. He says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. Get used to hearing joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, thank you that we can look at the full context and we can look verse by verse and we can see what was going on in the life of Paul and what took place as the church in Philippi was established. And Lord, help us as we draw um, practicality from it and we find uh, very unique ways that we can apply your word to our lives tonight. Lord, thank you so much for the body of believers that assembled tonight. Thank you for our faithful people that are coming, expecting to hear from you. And Lord, I'm asking that they hear from you tonight and not from me. In your name I pray, amen. There's a culturally relevant phrase that maybe you've heard recently or maybe you haven't, so I'm going to teach it to you anyways. Has anyone ever heard the phrase, my day one? Anyone at all? couple of you. Some of you may Google it right now, or if you have Instagram or something like that, maybe you could check out the hashtag. I know I understand the crowd I'm talking to, so I'm going to explain it to you, and we'll grow together in this area. So my day one could be used in a sentence like, Susan and I have been married for four years, and I love her. She's my day one. Day one simply means that since the beginning, through the good and the bad, she's remained with me. If you want to be real cool, you could do a Facebook post or an Instagram post and say something like, she's been my day one since A1, because A1 is old. Does anyone remember when A1 first came out? I don't remember. Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand, okay? So that's a culturally relevant term, just simply using it as a compliment to a friend or to a girlfriend or a spouse. We've been together for a long time since day one. One. In verse 5, we could pull it out and say that this church was Paul's day one. Verse 5 says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Through the good and the bad, through the hard times, through the struggles, through the imprisonments, through the times that he had struggles in his ministry, this church has had his back. They're really his day one church. I mentioned joy. Joy is mentioned a lot in this passage or in this book. Joy seems to be just a simple three-letter word, but joy is very complex because far too often joy is dependent upon our circumstances. Joy hardly ever is determined upon who we are in Christ, and that's sad to say, but for many Christians, it's true. 
And what I mean by that is for the Christian that just got a pay raise or just had a career advancement or just received a, a, a new role at work that you've been wanting and you feel like Christ has done that for you and God provided it for you, joy is often found. But during the hard times, it's very difficult to find joy. The book of Philippians will address these areas because Paul was very different. Paul was very unique. Paul wasn't your ordinary Christian. Paul's the man who learned that in whatever circumstance he was in, he would remain content. Paul was a man who was determined that his peace, his hope, and his joy did not rest in his circumstances, but in Christ. Paul not only preached it, but man, did Paul practice it. Paul is the author of the book. Let me give you a little context of this book of Philippians. The book was written by Paul, and it was one of the last epistles that he wrote, one of the last letters. It was written around the year 62 AD. Philippians has been called the book of joy because joy or rejoicing is mentioned 16 times in this very small book. The book of Philippians is short, it's only four chapters long, and it helps us understand that this book of Philippians really isn't a book, but it's an actual letter, letter that was written to the believers the body of Christ, the church that was established in the city of Philippi. Paul had established this church approximately 10 years prior um, than this letter being written when he was on his second missionary journey. Paul had a very unique and loving relationship with this church, and we're going to dive into his love a little bit later. Paul, now in this point of his life, as he writes this letter, finds himself in a prison in Rome. Paul has done nothing to be punished except preach that salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus. Not of works, but through faith in Christ. During his imprisonment, the church in Philippi would uh, want to encourage him and they sent him gifts. Um, a portion of this would have been received by this man and my friend helped me today. So I'm going to try to say this name right. I struggle with words like Pastor Tony, but the words I struggle with are big words Pastor Tony's from Alabama, so sometimes he struggles with barn, okay? <laughs> Love you, Johnny. <laughs> All right. So this, this man, Epaphroditus, or Epaphroditus, was a member and a church leader in Philippi. And as he is in prison, and Paul went through these trials and house arrest and beatings, and as he's going through these things, um, this man from the church of Philippi was sent with offerings and gifts to Paul. Paul in Rome, he's helping encourage Paul, he's praying for Paul, he's trying to speak life to Paul. And Paul there asked him to stay and be part of his ministry in Rome, to work in a way that he couldn't work because of the house arrest and things that he was going through. So this man, Epaphroditus, is working with him to further the gospel in Rome. Unfortunately, Epaphroditus became very, very sick, almost till death. However, God raised him raised his health back to where it needed to be, and Paul, during the time of the sickness, penned the letter and sent it back with Epaphroditus because there wasn't U.S. mail, there wasn't things like that. He sent it back with him, and he carried it to Philippi and delivered the letter to the church, to the people there. In the pages of this letter, Paul conveys a very powerful message about the secret of contentment. Although he had faced severe hardships, poverty, beatings, illness, and currently he's imprisoned, 
in every circumstance, Paul remained content. The source of this joyous contentment was rooted in this one thing, Jesus Christ. So as we go through this study, each of us, each pastor that presents the word, we're going to keep that our main focus, which it should always be our main focus. This one thing, Jesus Christ. Paul had full understanding that his joy, that his contentment comes from Christ and from Christ alone. In fact, in the book of Philippians, it's made up of 104 verses. And Jesus' name or a reference to Christ is mentioned 61 times out of the 104 verses. Paul was not ashamed of Christ. Paul loved Christ. And Paul vocalized this and wrote it to the people in Philippi. It was very obvious that Christ was central in his heart and in his mind. So over the next couple months, as we break down this passage, we'll preach through the book of Philippians. We'll keep the central theme in mind that Paul was able to find joy because he focused on Christ. Now that we understand the context of our book, let's dive into our study tonight, into our verses. Our title or topic will come from the latter end of verse 5. Verse 5 being, from the first day until now. Or, if you want to be culturally relevant, you could write, my day one. I challenge you to take notes tonight. This will be very practical. We'll have three main points, some sub-points. And I believe that there's areas of your life that can be improved with your walk with Christ. Not because I said it, because it is straight out of Scripture tonight. And it's what God has for us. So number one, we find that since day one, love was shown. We find this in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Your sub-point under that would be that love for Christ. Love was shown and love for Christ was shown. Paul clearly had a love for Christ by his actions as he endured so much to preach Christ. But Paul also portrayed his love in an amazing way with his words as he carefully and appropriately and yielded himself to God to pen these words as he describes himself in timothy he states that they are servants of jesus christ the word servants is actually the greek word for slaves so paul is saying that i am a slave of christ but i'm a willing slave of christ he says that i hand my life over to my owner Because I understand that I am bought with a price, no longer a slave to sin, but now I'm a willing servant of the king. Paul shows his love for Christ in his opening statement. In Philippians 2 verse 7, Paul also writes, and this is pertaining to Jesus Christ, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of of men. In this verse, Paul shows that his love for Christ is more than just adoration, but that his love for Christ is imitation. So the question for you tonight as you examine your life and your heart is, is your love for Christ simply adoration or is it imitation? Are you striving to be like Christ or do you just enjoy praising Christ? Do you just enjoy thanking him for what he's given you and thank him for salvation, which is great. We need to do so. 
but the process of sanctification, the change that we've talked about this morning as we open the word, is the fact that we should strive to be more like Christ. If you want to praise Christ, if you want to show your adoration towards Christ, the best way to do so is through imitation. Try to be like Christ. And Christ in verse 7 says, or in here, Paul likens him to a servant just like he likened himself to a servant. His goal ultimately was to be like Christ. And that is the ultimate way to show your love for Christ. There was love for Christ and there was also love for the church. Paul not only shows his love for Christ, but his love for church. Let's look at verse 3. And Richard, we're kind of going to jump through this a little bit, so hang in there with me, buddy. Verse 3, the whole verse says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. Verse 7 says that he had them in his heart. In the middle of that passage, he says, because I have you in my heart. In verse 8, he longed to be with him, so much so that he even said, put God on the record, ask God yourself, because I know that God has seen my love for you. That's how much I love you. He shows his love for the church in multiple verses in this passage. You see, Paul was a man of great intellect, but he was also a man with a great heart. But why the church at Philippi? When Paul wrote letters to the church of Corinth or Ephesus um, or Colossae or Thessalonica, he never ever started his books and his letters like this. You can check it out. I did today. Um, He salutes them. He says, grace be with you. I've been praying for you. But he never took the first um, 10 verses or so to say how much I love you. So why the church of Philippi? What was the difference in this church? Verse 5, this is our our theme verse for the night. He says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's break it down. Let's look closer at the fellowship of the gospel. Obviously, as believers, we are united as Christians through the gospel. We studied it a few weeks ago as um, through our hot topics. I talked about diversity and how the gospel unites, and Christ's plan is to unite us despite our differences. And it doesn't matter where you came from, how you were raised, um, what ethnicity you are, that our faith and the gospel brings us together because we have a common goal. That is the gospel. It unifies. It does not divide. But what about this word fellowship? The word fellowship speaks to spiritual partnership. You see, the gospel always unites and brings people together. But as Christians, we must take the necessary step to partner with others in the ministry. Because in doing so, in partnering, that's where love grows. Unification happens because of the gospel, because we have a common goal. But when we actually begin to work together, that's where love takes place. So let's dive into a couple things that the church of Philippi obviously did for Paul. For one, they sent him gifts. Um, Epaphroditus, I know I'm saying his name wrong every time, but he um, was sent to bring them gifts. Uh, Let's look at the end of this book, Philippians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 18. Yes, verse 18. We'll see kind of how they invested 
in Paul. Paul writes, but I have all and abound. I am full. That's crazy to think. Remember, he's in prison when he's writing this. Having received of, there's that name, Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That's a portion of it. I thought I wrote it in my notes. We'll dive into it as another pastor presents. I believe it's in chapter two somewhere, and maybe one of you can find it. Um, But he also mentions kind of the financial gifts that were given to him since day one. This church has partnered with Paul since the beginning. I think about what we do here as a church, and I think about when we built an Easter stage and VBS stage, and those people that I grow close to and I end up um, having love for are those that I partner with and I work with. Um, I think about a big city that we're working on and, and the work that's going into that and the investment. And as we work together and we partner together, love will happen. The other churches, um, although that they may have helped Paul through prayer and things, they were not as invested as the church of Philippi. So Paul loved this church and the people because of the participation that they had in his ministry. And that can go to challenge you that maybe you feel like you're on an island here at church. Maybe you feel like you just don't fit in anywhere and and no one loves you or you don't have friends here. You need to have that fellowship, that spiritual partnership when it comes to the ministry and the work of God. So there was love that was shown, love for Christ. There was love that was shown, love for the church. And then since day one, there was a change that was seen. Let's look at verse 6 of this passage. Verse 6. I love he uses this very strong word confident. He says Paul writes being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident. Paul was convinced. Paul was excited that the change that the work that God had started in the people of Philippi would continue and would progress because he knew that Jesus Christ was faithful to do so. We don't have everyone's story when it comes to the members of the church in Philippi. We don't know if it was thousands of people. Um, We don't know if it was hundreds. There's speculations. But we do have the story of a few individuals whose whose ministry of Paul who it impacted and who we see change through. Let's go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And we're going to look in chapter 16. And we're going to stay in this passage for a little while. Um, Really, we're going to look at the whole chapter. So it will be a little lengthier in reading. But that's all right. Acts chapter 16. And the first person that we'll see who has changed is Lydia. Does anyone know Lydia? Someone tell me something about Lydia. You guys are close. I would love to hear from you. Seller of purple. Okay. I want someone to tell me where she originally came from so I can learn how to pronounce the word. What was, where did she come from? She moved to Philippi. Do you know where she was from? Starts with a T. Thyra, Tyra? All right. Uh, Mr. Fenwick, you want to come up and preach this message? You, you got it all. He told me, actually, he said, what's your text tonight? I said, Philippians. He said, I've read it before. So he's right. He has. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your help. Acts chapter 16. We'll begin reading in verse 11. Verse 11. God's word says, therefore... Loosing from Troas, we came with a straight chorus to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city 
of that part of Macedonia in a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where Paul was wont to be made, and we sat down and sp- and I'm sorry, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And she was baptized after she was converted, and her household she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there, And she constrained us. Lydia in the Bible was originally from Thyatira, but was living in Philippi when she met Paul on his second missionary journey. As he mentioned, she was a seller of purple cloth, which Thyatira was famous for. So Lydia apparently had moved to Philippi to now start kind of her business to sell her purple cloth. Lydia was also a worshiper of God, but she did so in a very different way because she was Jewish. So her worship of God was not because of her salvation through faith in Christ, but because of works. The account of Lydia's conversion says that she was gathered with a group of women uh, down by the river. That just feels weird to say. Isn't that a song or something? Down by the river, okay? And the fact that Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas came to the women and there was no men present kind of speaks to the fact that there probably were not enough Jew men in this area to actually establish a synagogue so the women gathered together to worship God. Lydia heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible says that God opened her heart that she may receive the word from God and she accepted it, she believed upon it, and she accepted Christ as her savior, the first convert of Paul in the city of Philippi. After she believed, Lydia was baptized along with the rest of her household. Now, whether the household means a husband and kids, whether that means um, people that lived with her and helped around the house, we're not sure. But she had a household of individuals that she shared the message of the gospel with, and they accepted Christ as well. After Lydia's conversion and baptism, she insisted that Paul and her friends come to stay with her And this kind of speaks to her hospitality. Maybe you've heard messages about Lydia and her hospitality. Luke says that she constrained us, which indicates her fervency and her desire to be hospitable to these men. Change was seen in the life of Lydia as her faith shifted from works to the finished work of Christ. The gospel, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Lydia was changed. If we continue in this passage of scripture, and we will, we'll find a demon-possessed girl also in the city of Philippi. Verse 16 of this chapter says, And it came to pass, as we went to pray, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. 
and the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates uh, rent off their clothes and command to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So with the provision and the place to stay that was provided by Lydia, the individual who just accepted Christ, they were able to kind of set up home there in Philippi and they were able to continue, Paul and his team, to send out the message of the gospel and preach Christ and and convert those around them. They encountered a girl who was demon-possessed. The original Greek states that the demon that she was possessed by was from the spirit of Pythona, which is translated into English as a python. So this girl sounds creepy already. She has a demon that is represented by a python. She had the ability with, through this demon to actually see the future and share the future. Fortune teller, I don't know if the whole crystal ball became into effect there or if that was later in the world. I don't think there's a crystal ball, by the way. But she was able to do this and her owners made money off of her in doing so. So they uh, meet this young lady And they do so in a very weird way. Um, They don't go up and introduce themselves, but she actually follows around Paul and her team shouting that they are the servants of the Most High God. A moment ago, I talked about partnership and ministry, and partnership and ministry is amazing. It's what we need, but not with a demon-possessed girl who represents a python. So Paul got really stressed out about it. In the next verse, um, Paul writes, or Luke writes, that she followed them around for many days. And Paul was grieved. And Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ, cast out her demon. And she was a changed individual. So much so that the owners could no longer make money off of her. And there was an immediate change in her. She was no longer able to tell the future. She was no longer to make money for her owners. As she went from shouting that Paul was a servant of the Most High to actually seeing how the Most High God works. Isn't that kind of crazy? She, Satan, thought that maybe he could use her to, um, in a way, whether it was to just annoy the man of God and kind of get him off his game and not focus on Christ, I'm not sure. But she went from saying that this is a servant of the Most High God to actually seeing the Most High God work in her life. Real change took place. Thirdly, the Philippian jailer. If we continue in verse 25 of this passage, I love uh, this, this passage of scripture. If you ever go through something in your, in your life and you think, I don't know what God's doing. I'm not sure why he's lining this up. You think about it. He meet, meets Lydia. That's pretty cool. Seller of purple. Um, he may have got some new clothes out of it. Paul, he got a place to stay, some food. And then he now meets a demon-possessed girl that follows him around for days, yelling. That's really strange. But he trusted in God. He stayed true to him, stayed faithful. God used him to change the life of this girl. And now he's thrown in prison. Circumstances change again. And he's probably, Paul, probably wondering, maybe what is God doing? But how does Paul respond? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Can you just... Just think about that for a moment. This whole passage is a message in itself. But Paul, being in prison, the inner prison, he's locked. I mean, he's tied down. He's chained. There's no way for him to get out. And he's doing his purpose in life. He's preaching the gospel. And he's in prison for that. 
And in this situation, he finds joy. He sings praises to God. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Continue, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sheep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out the sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been tied. But Paul cried, or, and the keeper of the prison awaking, where are we? Verse 28, I'm sorry, Richard, I'll go back to the Bible. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Aren't you thankful that that's, that's it? We talked about works this morning and uh, that you can't lose your salvation because you don't earn your salvation. I'm thankful that when the question is asked, what do I need to do to be saved? It's simple. Believe on Jesus Christ. Verse 32, and they spake unto him and the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So we see here that the Philippian jailer was in a situation where Paul and Silas had to be thrown in prison based upon the authority in his life. He placed them in prison and they are singing praises to God despite the circumstances. They found joy despite the circumstances. An earthquake takes place. They are loosed. All the chains, they, they break, and they really could have just walked out of the prison. The jailer begins to kind of panic and stress and ultimately determines that he may even take his life when Paul steps in and says, calm down, we're all here. The jailer, seeing the actions, understanding the praise that they gave to God, says, what must I do to be saved? You see, this is how a church works. This is how a church is established is Paul partnering up with a team of people and God directing his steps. We could get more into the Macedonian call. If you want a cool Bible study this week, look at the Macedonian call and see how Paul even ended up in Philippi is a neat story in and of itself that God directed his path. So Paul now has these three converts. So real change took place. Paul was confident that not just in these converts and in their household, but in the other individuals that were part of this ministry in Philippi, that change would take place. Three examples of change have been given, and the question I would ask you to examine yourself with is what changes can be identified in you? You have Christ, you've accepted Christ, and maybe it was at a young age and you say, I was only five at the time, there wasn't much to change in my life, but there should be a growth pattern. You should be trending upward when it comes to your relationship with Christ. What recent changes have you had? What areas do you need to change today that maybe even others around you would see? Since day one, love was shown, change was seen, and thirdly, goals were set. Through Paul's prayer, for the people of Philippi, he challenges them with some goals. These goals are very practical. These goals are very applicable. And I challenge you to write them down, write them in your Bible, work on these goals in your walk with God. 
uh, subpoint under that number one is that we need to grow in love. Paul says this in verse nine of this passage where he says that your love may abound yet more and more. Love was shown as Paul greeted his friends and Paul challenges these same friends to have the same type of love. Paul says, I'm a servant. I willingly give my life to the Father and he can do with it what he wants. I have love for one another, as I mentioned four times in eight verses, that I love you. You're in my heart. I long for you. I want to be with you. I love the church. In chapter 2, in Philippians verse 2, Paul takes it a step further when he challenges these same people regarding love. He says, fulfill ye my joy. This will bring me joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He challenged them to follow his pattern of love. Love for Christ, love for church, each other. Grow in love. Secondly, below that, we need to grow in knowledge. Paul pushed the church of Philippi to grow in knowledge in verse 9 when he says, in knowledge and in all judgment. This has to do with our doctrine and our practical truth that we take away and we grow from. Motivating them to seek the truth and to really start to grow in their faith to where they can go from the milk of the word to now digesting the meat of the word. A great verse that you could write down is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. One that you may even be able to quote. It's a popular verse, but one that always challenges me. In my walk with God, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word ashamed always comes out to me when I read that passage. Am I studied up enough? Do I understand who I am in Christ and my, my foundation, my beliefs, my doctrine enough that I'm not ashamed of that? That I've rightly divided it, that I can answer questions, that we can go through this. Um, so grow in knowledge. And let me challenge you with this thought. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I think a lot of times we are. In our um, teen class, I haven't given you an update of that, by the way, but on Sunday school at our 10 o'clock time, um, over the last month or so, we've been going through some material, and the premise of that is, can I ask that? How many of you, maybe you've grown up in church, have you ever felt like maybe there's a question that you just can't ask? Anyone like that at all? Like you couldn't come to a pastor and ask, you don't want to raise your hand because you think I'm going to go to you and say, just ask me. So, but we, um, in our youth group on Sundays, we are asking hard questions, but the Bible has answers to these. Like, does God love the LGBT community? Questions like, um, does God endorse violence? And does God have anything against women? Because in the New Testament, he says to keep quiet in the church. So we're looking at these questions, that's studying, that's showing yourself approved, that's not being ashamed of the beliefs and the, the, the truth that we can find in God's word. So look at God or God's word in a practical light. These answers so many times that we have, we'll jump to Google or we'll put it on a forum or on social media or we'll go to someone that doesn't have a solid foundation of truth in God's word and we'll ask them the question when ultimately God gives us the answer in his word. So study to show thyself approved. Uh, grow in love, grow in knowledge, and then pursue excellence. Verse 10 continues with the idea of excellence. Let me pull it back up here. That ye may approve things that are 
excellent. Paul wanted the people of Philippi to pursue excellence in their walks of life. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. It doesn't matter your career field. It doesn't matter your stage of life. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. Pursue excellence. Do you know who motivates me with excellence? I'm glad he's not in here right now. Pastor Dave motivates me with excellence. How many of you think he did a great job on the stage over there Friday night? Easter, great stage. Um, I know it's a team effort, but Pastor Dave's really the visionary behind it. Vacation Bible School. I told Pastor Dave one time, I said, uh, he, he checked us when we had our real life together night, the parent night, and he came in and he saw that my chairs were straight. I mean, they were, they were spot on. And he noticed that. And I said, do you know why I did that? Because I knew you were gonna be here tonight. And I knew that you would examine that. And I said, you almost almost make me want to be a perfectionist but not quite pastor dave pursues excellence he likes to give god his best and he motivates me in that i think about god in the creation story and how he created the world and in the six days he looked at it and said that it was really incomplete um, he wanted man to be created and he stepped back and said this is good he pursued excellence whatever stage of life you're in pursue it uh, next, pursue sincerity in verse 10, that ye may be sincere, is the words that Paul gives. Per the Greek translation, the root of sincere would state, examined in the sunlight and found pure. The question is, who is the real you? That's a tough question to ask, a tough one to, to be honest with yourself sometimes, but who are you in the darkness when the light shines on you and we can see who you really are? are who are you what are your desires for for your life is it the desire that you are a slave of Christ and you willingly give your life for him to do with whatever he would like sincerity a genuine desire to follow Christ and then we have to pursue a consistent walk same verse that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ without offense would speak to the idea of avoiding a stumbling block. It's running the Christian race without falling due to a stumbling block. If you want God to do something great in you and through you, it starts with consistency. Consistency um, with overcoming temptation in your life is very paramount in your Christian walk. Your consistency in your time and God's word is very vital. Your consistency in talking to God is so important. It's important to have consistency in staying yielded to God and the Holy Spirit as we're looking at in our Sunday morning services. It starts with consistency without offense, avoiding these stumbling blocks in life. So what do you have in common with the church of Philippi? Examine your life and can Christ call you, will be culturally relevant, his day one. Can Christ look back at your life and say, this individual through the thick and thin, when times were good for them and blessings poured out, mountaintops experiences, they were there, they stuck with me, but when times were bad and I was in the valley, and when times were bad and I was in the prisons of life, I still stuck with it. From this day, from the first day until now, the church of Philippi stuck with Paul, and these are identities that they had. They showed love, there was change that was so evident it was seen by others. And then they set goals. And as a team together, they accomplished those goals for Christ. 